Welcome to the Concord Online Podcast. Each week, we're going to be bringing you sermons from Concord to be a resource for you to live on mission with us to inspire people to follow Jesus. Hey, grab your Bible. Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. 1 Corinthians chapter 7. It's so good to see you. We've had an incredible weekend. I see Nathan Miller here in this service. Nathan did a wonderful job uh, leading out at our men's conference. We had over 1,000 men here. Yeah, we can praise the Lord for that. And... Um, Nathan, uh, tell me, but how, how many different local churches were involved this weekend? 96. 96 different local churches. So that's incredible. And uh, just, man, thinking through that Rise 865 dream that God has given to us, and even better than all those things, we saw 30 decisions for Christ, and 11 of those were first time for salvation. And so let's praise the Lord for those that got saved this weekend. Uh, man, such, such a great weekend. Well, I'm finishing a series of sermons today about family. We've called it Family Foundations. Next week, I begin a series that we've called Ask Me Anything that some of you have turned into Stump the Pastor. All right, so uh, uh, lots of great questions have come in and are coming in. And if, if you want to send a question, uh, you can to 57158. You can just use the keyword questions. Any question you got by the scripture. It's been really fun to see your questions, um, you know, and, and just kind of wrestle through. We're trying to pull out the themes of those, so we might not be able to answer every question specifically. Uh, there's enough questions that have already been submitted uh, that, you know, we may have to do like a, you know, remix of this and kind of figure out maybe it's a Wednesday night class that we kind of wade through this stuff. But um, so but a few of those that are in there are questions related to family. And, uh, and, and so I want to encourage you, like if if you didn't catch the parenting message, man, catch the parenting message. If you, you didn't get the message on faithfulness in your marriage, grab that. You know, if you didn't get the kind of family foundations, origins message that was the beginning of the year, like maybe just go on YouTube and grab those and then get involved in a lot of these Wednesday night Bible studies. There's parenting classes, there's divorce care, there's all these Wednesday night opportunities for you to kind of continue to get your questions answered about family. So I guess I should have titled the series, you know, Ask Me Anything Except Family because we just preached that. All right, but it's not really, but you, you get the idea, right? Like we're, we're not going to go back, but we're going to kind of press into some interesting things in the days ahead. Now look, the sermon I have today is going to be difficult for many of us. But what I encourage you with as we kind of wade into this water in 1 Corinthians 7, man, sometimes because of mistakes of our past, when we come to church and we hear the message of the gospel and the Christian ideal preached, we allow the enemy to load our wagon with guilt. And I'm just going to tell you from the very get-go today, do not allow the enemy to load your wagon of, with guilt when it comes to these matters we're going to speak of. Because our God has given you an extinguishable grace. Like the grace of God is so much greater you may be someone that feels like you're the worst sinner in this room, or you may be the person that's like, man, I'm not as bad as so-and-so. I don't know where you think you are on this scale, but I can tell you this. If you know Jesus is saving and Lord, you're a trophy of his grace. And we need grace day by day, moment by moment, and every second of the day. And this morning, man, I needed some grace when the hot water ran out at my house on a Sunday morning. A little fired up at a teenager let it rip a little bit, and then his mom was like, well, he ain't even showered yet, so I don't know why you're fussing at him. And I was like, whoops, in need of grace. I just assumed. You see the idea, like, we all need his grace. So no matter where you are in this journey, man, I want to encourage you to rest in God's grace. Because 1 Corinthians 7 is a passage of Scripture where Paul speaks the Christian ideal 
on matters related to singleness. He's going to talk to those who have been through a divorce. He's going to talk to those who are widowed. And he's going to talk to those who have never been married and give specific instructions on how they should live their life in the state that they're in. You know, I was thinking about our singles uh, during this whole series. I mean, you know, they've kind of navigated a lot of water. They're like, well, how does this apply to me? Particularly like our, our young adults and our college students. You know, I've been thinking about them as we've kind of navigated this. And so, you know, guys, young adults, college students, like today's your day. You know what I'm saying? Like, like we're going to talk about this, this priority and these principles from 1 Corinthians 7 about how to make certain that we're living out God's purposes today. You see, for the vast majority of us, there is someone God has for us to marry, and we've got to get ourselves in the right environments and postures for God to bring them in our life. But there are a few of us that God has given the gift or calling of singleness. And you need to understand, you're not less than because you're not married, and something's not wrong with you because you're not married. Like somewhere along the line, people begin to attach their identity and their self-worth to their marital status. And that is foolishness. Because in light of Christ's sacrifice and victory over death, you can rest your identity not in something that is temporary. Because, you know, when this life is over, like marriages are done. But but I can attach my identity and my worth and my value to someone who is eternal in Jesus Christ. So stop with this idea of like identifying, well, you know, I don't have a spouse. And identify with Jesus. Like your marital status is, is not your foundation, Christ is. Like you'll hear people say from time to time, like so-and-so finally grew up and got married. Like it, it's a polite way to say they finally stepped into some responsibility and maturity. But your marital status does not make you mature. I expected a couple wives to say amen. <laughs> like your marital status is not what makes you mature. Like your maturity is found in Christ. And what Paul's going to do in this passage is he's going to recenter us and focus us on the very mission of God that he has for all of our lives. So stand with me and let's study it in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. We'll start in verse 8. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 8. To the unmarried and the widows, I say it is good for them to remain single as I am. But if they cannot exercise self-control, they should marry. For it's better for, to marry than to burn with passion. To the married I give this charge, not I but the Lord. The wife should not separate from her husband. But if she does, she should remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband. And the husband should not divorce his wife. To the rest I say, I, not the Lord, that if any brother has a wife who is an unbeliever and she consents to live with him, he should not divorce her. And if any woman has a husband who is an unbeliever and he consents to live with her, she should not divorce him. For the unbeliever or the unbelieving husband is made holy because of his wife and the unbelieving wife is made holy because of her husband. Otherwise, your children will be unclean. Because as it is, they are holy. But if the unbelieving partner separates, let it be so. In such cases, the brother or sister is not enslaved. God has called you to peace. For how do you know, wife, whether you will save your husband? Or how do you know, husband, whether you will save your wife? Now skip over to verse 25. Now concerning the betrothed, I have no command from the Lord 
but I give my judgment as one who, by the Lord's mercy, is trustworthy. I think that in view of the present distress, it is good for a person to remain as he is. Are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be free. Are you free from a wife? Do not seek a wife. But if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if a betrothed woman marries, she has not sinned. Yet those who marry will have worldly troubles that I would spare you. (laughs) Verse 29. This is what I mean, brothers. The appointed time has grown very short. From now on, let those who have wives live as though they had none. And those who mourn as though as though they were not mourning, and those who rejoice as though they were not rejoicing, and those who buy as those who had no goods, and those who deal with the world as though they had no dealings with it, for this present form is passing away. I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. But the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife. And his interests are divided. And the unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit, but the married woman is anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband. I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint upon you, but to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. May God bless the reading of his word. You can be seated. You say, man, what in the world? It's exactly what I thought on Monday afternoon. But I think it's important, we almost need to begin at the end. Like, Paul has a very clear goal in verse 35. Like, he's like, hey, like, I'm trying to help you order your life so that you can have secure, undivided devotion to the Lord. Like, like Paul's goal in all of these instructions is that we would be so laser-focused on pleasing Jesus with our lives that we would not let anything distract us from his will and his way. Now, this is a section of 1 Corinthians that Paul is actually answering questions from the church at Corinth. Like, this is the original ask me anything passage. You know what I'm saying? Like, like he has told the believers in Corinth, like, hey, what do you want to talk about? What do you want me to, like, what do you want me to answer? And they were sending him questions. Corinth is in Greece. All right, it's in southern Greece near Athens. So these are not Jewish people. These are Gentiles, as we would understand from the Gospels, or, or these are Greeks. Like, like th- these are folks that did not grow up with any type of understanding of the Jewish history or heritage or even the Old Testament. And so they're asking these questions, and Paul is doing his best to answer them. He's like, well, why is Paul authorized to answer them? Well, Paul was considered the apostle to the Gentiles. So an apostle was someone who had had like an encounter with Jesus, an eyewitness encounter with Jesus. They were those that had spent time with Jesus. And so you think about like, you know, John, the apostle. Like these guys, like they had heard a word from Jesus. They had spent time with Jesus. Like they they had this eyewitness kind of encounter with him. Well, Paul was qualified for that because of what happened on the Damascus road. And so in these areas that the church at Corinth was asking Paul to help them understand. They would consider them gray areas in their cultural context. These gray areas of scripture, Paul was speaking authoritatively because he was an apostle sent from God to the Gentiles. And so in some of this, he's like, well, I think, or I say, and so he's leaning upon that authority given to him by God to kind of help lead people through this deal. Now it's, it's an interesting passage because he, he starts with 
principles for marriage at the beginning of chapter 7. And then he moves his way to, you know, divorced. And then he's going to kind of finish this time speaking to those who are engaged and about to be married. And, and the principle here is like, hey, look, like stay so focused on the Lord that you live to please him and you're committed to his mission. But if you burn with lust, get married. Like that, that's kind of what he's saying. Like verse six, he's even like, like this is a concession. I mean, he's saying like, I'd rather you be single and so focused on the mission of God that you're unencumbered by the kind of responsibilities of family and marriage. And you just think, well, well, pastor, isn't that opposite of, of what God had said in Genesis? No, he, he's not conflicting with that order that God established. He's just simply saying, when you're single, you have more ability, more time, more, more opportunity to advance the mission of God. And Paul, most historians say at one point in his life was married, but he's writing this as a single man. We don't exactly know why Paul went through that kind of separation. We don't know if his wife died. We don't know if she abandoned him when he became a Christian. You see, it was kind of considered a requirement when you were going to be a rabbi as Paul was on the fast track to be when his name was Saul, that you would have a spouse. And so while the scripture is silent to it, most church historians are like, like something happened. Paul had a wife and then he doesn't have a wife and he's saying he's single and he's saying, you know, use this time of singleness to advance the mission of God and not be encumbered by those responsibilities. And so in the first five verses, he's, he's confirming so much of what Jesus had said about faithfulness in marriage and how husbands and wives should relate to one another. I mean, a couple weeks ago when I was sick, John Aiken did a wonderful job like teaching you about faithfulness in marriage. But let me just speak a couple things to you. You know, I, I, I was wanting to preach that day because some things on my heart to say, so I just figured I'd say them now. Like, like understand, church, the enemy is attacking our marriages and culturally unfaithfulness in marriage is becoming almost assumed and accepted but it will never be accepted by God like, like hear me out man like with with great love and care for your soul you must be faithful to your spouse to be in right standing with God like it, like, let me just get super specific because, like, this is something that we wade through all the time and it's happening way too often. But husbands and wives, you should, you should not be inviting pornography into your bedroom. Husbands and wives, you should not be inviting any other person into your marital bed, no matter what the experts say it will do to spice up your marriage. The spice in your marriage is found in the spouse that God gave you, period. And, and you need to fulfill your marital vow to your spouse. And she, like John said, is the standard of beauty, or he is the standard of handsome. And God's gift to you is your spouse so that you will not fall into sexual immorality but you will live a life that pleases the Lord. So what is the framework then? After he kind of paused, like, hey, like, like husband and wife, be faithful. Like, you know, don't deprive one another. Like, go for it. 
What does he say to those who are not married? First, notice with me this framework that he builds. He, he says, don't rush to change your status. Look at verse 8. To the unmarried and the widows, I say that it is good for them to remain single as I am. Now this doesn't seem to make sense if the, after he has just talked about to the married people. What he's trying to help us understand is God's ideal and God's order is that one man and one woman come together in a covenant relationship called marriage. And that is where, man, we, we see children. That is where we see, man, flourishing. But he's also helping us understand that this idea of a, a person committed to celibacy is lesser than is not from the Lord. Uh, again, he's fighting against the Corinthian temptation to identify themselves by their marital status, not by the Imago Dei mark of God or the mission of God that he has granted to them through Christ Jesus. And so constantly he's pushing back against this thing of like, like man, stop identifying yourself as married and unmarried and get busy in the mission. And so if you're married, be married faithfully. If you're not married, it is good to be single as I am because we can get after the mission of God together. And then in verses 10 through 16, he spends a lot of time explaining how the scripture does not condone divorce. Like he's like, hey, to the married I give this charge, the wife should not separate from her husband. She should reconcile and the husband should not divorce his wife. He even gets into in verse 14 and 15, like what if I'm married to an unbeliever? And if you think about Corinth, like the gospel had just come to Corinth and, and Paul just started this church in Corinth. And so there are a lot of people coming to faith in Corinth that the rest of their family wasn't coming to faith. And so you had all of these marriages between believers and unbelievers. And they're like, what do we do with this? And Paul is upholding the standard that the scripture has been consistent on of what God thinks of marriage. Friends, when you get married, the biblical ideal is you stay married. Now, don't you let the enemy, those of you that have gone through divorce, load your wagon with shame and guilt. You lean into the grace of God right now. Because every single one of us have missed God's ideal for our life. I, I saw Scott Dawson do this this weekend for the men's conference, so you guys will... You guys will remember this moment, but it was impactful and helpful for me. Hey, would, would you do me a favor? If, if you've ever told a lie, would you just raise your hand? Mine's up. You've ever told a lie? Okay, yep, put your hands up. No, keep them up, keep them up, keep them up. Like, look around. Every one of these people with their hands in the air have missed God's ideal for their life. You can put your hands down. Now, if you did not just raise your hand, You get the picture, right? So, so we've all missed God's ideal. And sin is sin, period. And so God is just as upset about the lie. Like your lie nailed Jesus to the cross just as much as your divorce did. So recognize this is God's ideal and don't let the enemy load your wagon with guilt and shame and walk in the grace of God. I am a trophy of God's grace. And you are a trophy of God's grace as he restores, heals, rebuilds, and retakes ground that the enemy has stolen. So again, like when people hear messages like this, they're like, man, why does he say things? Well, because the ideal is in Scripture, but in every area of our life, Scripture speaks to the ideal. 
And so we've got to chase this together, and then we've got to lean into the grace of God when we fall short. Because every day we fall short, and this is our gospel hope, that when we fall short, God's grace is still sufficient. You, You see, salvation in Christ is not living a perfect life to earn heaven. Salvation in Christ is coming to the end of yourself, recognizing you could never attain heaven and calling upon God's grace to come get you from your pit and qualify you for heaven. This is the gospel of Christ. And so the apostle is going like, hey, like if if you're not married, make sure, be careful. Don't rush to change your status. If you're married, stay married. If you're married to an unbeliever, stay married because God might use you to see that unbeliever come to faith. You say, all right, hold on, hold on, Pastor. Like, I, like, how does this work? Verse 14 and 15 is like, hey, you may make them holy. What is he talking about? He, Paul's leading into a Jewish tradition in this moment. Like, th- this is where the passage gets so technical. He's, he's assuming a Jewish understanding or reading in the scripture of that Jewish kind of culture taught that children born to Jewish people had this kind of special blessing and heritage in the eyes of the Lord. So the whole part about like, hey, you know, otherwise your children will be unclean. Like that was something that was just unfathomable for Paul. And and so it's not, he's not saying that when a wife comes to faith in Christ, her husband becomes holy as in right standing with God. He's saying that when a wife comes to faith in Christ, she can give testimony to the holiness of God and he might turn from his sin and repent. Paul is in no way in these verses taking away the responsibility of repentance and faith in every life. We say it around here like this, like God has no grandchildren. So it's this idea of like, like you're not going to get to heaven because of mamaw's faith. And you're not going to get to heaven because of mama's faith. There is one way to heaven, it's through Jesus Christ that every person, man, woman, boy and girl, take personal responsibility of their sin and surrender their life to Christ and by faith begin to walk in him. And so like this is the the scriptural principle. So Paul's not saying that when one person becomes a Christian, the whole family then is saved, but he's saying to the believing partner, you pray, you live out your faith and you believe in Jesus. The scripture gives very few reasons for divorce. One reason that Jesus would give would be like, like unfaithfulness. It'd be sexual sin in marriage. Here we see Paul's like, if your unbelieving spouse leaves, don't go after them, be at peace. Like there's, there's very few reasons for divorce. And so if you're married, be married. He says, if you're not married, don't rush to be married. You say, now hold on, pastor, hold on, hold on. A couple weeks ago, you were like, hurry up and get married. And I believe that with all my heart. Like if God has brought to you the one that you know you will be married to, get a job, get a house, get married. Like don't push this thing off in the future. But what Paul is helping these unmarried Corinthians understand is that they should not feel the pressure to hurry up and get married until the Lord brings them the person to be married to. I mean, I, I talk to college students and young adults, man, they put so much pressure on themselves to find their spouse, to get married. Like there's one college that a lot of us send our kids to, like the theme kind of in college is like ring by spring. Like how ridiculous is that? You know, like by your sophomore year, you get to have a ring by spring. Like what? 
Listen to me, college students, young adults. There is no pressure on you to know who you're going to marry when you get out of college. There's a little pressure on you to know what job you want to do so that you quit changing majors 19 times. But (laughs) there's no pressure on you to know who, like, your aim, remember verse 35, should be to live and please the Lord. And if that's your aim, if that's your goal, in the Lord's timing, he'll bring you someone into your life or he'll grant to you this gift of singleness. And so don't rush here. Like, just recognize this is the Lord's timing. Marriage is not the goal of your life. Pleasing Christ is the goal of your life. And if you'll pursue the Lord, he'll bring you someone to marry or he'll give you this gift of singleness. Second, verse nine, look in the passage. It's kind of framework he builds. Don't rush to change your status and don't burn with lust. People for ask me from time to time, say, Pastor, how do I know if I have the gift of singleness? Do you lust? They'll kind of get sheepish and be like, well, yeah. I'm like, you don't have it, man. <laughs> Look at verse 9. But they cannot exercise self-control, they should marry. For it's better to marry than burnt with passion. Like, what's this? He's, he's recognizing while the reality is not always the ideal, he conceded kind of a hierarchy of preferences and he, for Paul, celibacy was the most desirable for the unmarried Corinthians. But, but he's like, look, if you burn with lust, if you can't control yourself, get, get married. Verse 9 is kind of a reconfirmation of time and time again that Jesus spoke out against sexual immorality. In Corinth, just like in our day, people just excuse sexual sin. They think, well, it's just boys will be boys. It's just the way things are. Like it was just the culture of the day, and there was this sense of open sexual promiscuity, this, this open sexual sin that everybody just kind of thought, well, this is just what you do. Like when you date and you're in college or you're a young adult or you date when you're an adult, like you just kind of like end up spending the night together. And Paul's like, that's not what you do. Like sexual immorality is sexual immorality, and it is a sin. And Paul was very clear, like, like this is a sin against your own body. So when you sin sexually, you're actually cursing yourself. And so Paul's like, if rather than sinning sexually, get married. It's, it's the step you should take. You see, marriage is God's plan for fulfillment of sexual desires, and any expression of, of any sexual expression outside of marriage is sin. Listen to Hebrews 13:4. The scripture says, Let marriage be held in honor among all, and let the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge the sexually immoral and the adulterous. Like God is calling us in verse 9, all of us, to sexual purity. If you're married, it's inside your marriage. If you're single, it's not until you're married. I, I've got a pastor friend, he, he uses a great illustration when it comes to pursuing sexual purity. He's like, look, think about it as if it was fire. Fire. Fire is beautiful and helpful when it's in the proper place. Like a fire in the fireplace will keep the house warm. Fire in the fireplace is fun to sit around and, and watch. A fire in the fireplace, you can roast marshmallows and have that wintertime experience that I'm totally over. <laughs> but if the fire gets out of the fireplace, it destroys everything in its path. And so my pastor is like, like, see sexual sin this way. In the context of the fireplace of marriage, beautiful 
helpful, sometimes even life-saving. But out of the fireplace, it's destructive in every way. And so Paul's message in verse 9 is like, hey, like, do not shrink back and think less of sexual sin. Recognize. Like, he's like, hey, if, if you're burning, get married. Don't practice sexual sin. Like, refuse to allow lust to control your body. Well, how do I do that? Like, culturally, it's everywhere. Well, Scripture teaches us that means we've got to set our minds on things that are above. Like, we've got to, got to protect our eyes. Like, Job is like, I've made a covenant with my eyes that I won't sin against the Lord. And we've got to work to see the beauty of God greater than the beauty of somebody from the other sex. And this is where we have to learn to live in the truths of the gospel. One of my great fears of ministry in the South is when we hear the word gospel, we think about a prayer to pray. And the gospel is so much more than a prayer to pray. Like if the gospel to you is only a prayer to pray, you check in with God, but yet you live however we want. But if the gospel becomes the sustaining power of God in your life, if the gospel is the fuel that enables you towards holiness, you live in and through the gospel of Christ every day, and all of a sudden, it's not your power to overcome temptation, it's his grave-altering, life-giving, sustaining power in you that overcomes the temptation. So Paul's right, like, it's Christ in you that's the hope of glory. And so if you burn, rest in the gospel so that its power will overcome your temptation. Third, verse 28 to 25, don't take marriage lightly. Don't take marriage lightly. So Paul's like, all right, don't rush to change your status, man. Like, don't let somebody pressure you into something. If, if you burn with lust, get married. But don't take it lightly. So verse 25 is, is interesting with commentators and interpreters. You, you, you see Paul, is like, hey, concerning the betrothed, that's the engaged I have no command from the Lord. So he's about to speak as an apostle. I give my judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. And then he says in verse 26, I think in view of the present distress. What is he talking about? Like he's addressing a specific situation in Corinth. And the specific situation that he was addressing in Corinth was a famine. There was a famine that was so severe and it lasted for many years that there were people dying all the time because they couldn't get any food. And so Paul, using the judgment that God had given to him, when he's got these folks who were engaged, like, should we go ahead and get married in the middle of this famine? He, he said, well, maybe consider not getting married. Like, he, he's even like, like, if you got to get married, verse 9, get married. But if you can wait, wait. Why would he say that? Like, what was he thinking? He's thinking, like, so when, when the future husband would get married, he would leave his family and start a new family. When the future wife would would get married she would leave her family and they were trying to start this new family when there was no food like this was a very practical wise answer to a very specific situation so Paul's instruction of like maybe this wait during this present situation was actually his way of honoring marriage because he was like when you get married you can't go back to your mom and daddy's house for dinner 
And I know some of you have been invited over for lunch today to your mama's house, and you're like, uh-oh, what does that mean? In that situation, he's like, hey, like, when you get married, you got to stand on your own two feet. You're not going back to take their food. There's a famine. So, so he was saying, like, you've got to leave and cleave, as Genesis said. So you're not going to run back to them. We don't have any food. And so Paul's like, so if you're not prepared, if you don't have a job, you ought not to get married. Like he's describing this because he's holding marriage at such a high regard that he doesn't want them to be married, but yet stay under their parents' control and authority. Like he was practically applying this and he was concerned with the situation at hand. And so he's like, hey, if you're married, stay married. But if you're not married, maybe hold off a minute so that you are able to provide in the worldly troubles he speaks about in verse 28. He's worried about their ability to provide for themselves. And he's like, if you would just pursue purity and hang in there for a little bit, timing is everything and God will bless. So Paul's trying to hold marriage in a high regard. And friends, understand if, if you're married today, you need to hold that marriage in a high regard. If you're single today, man, don't flippantly think about marriage. Recognize it's this holy covenant between you and God and hold it in the highest regard, the holy estate of marriage. Hey, I believe that many of us, our greatest evangelistic effectiveness will be by the way we love our spouse. That the world might see our good works and they might glorify our Father in heaven. Finally today, verses 32 to 35. Don't, don't waste your singleness. So don't rush to change your status. Don't burn with lust. Don't cheapen marriage. And don't waste your singleness. Look down in verse 32 to 35. It, it gets interesting. He's like, verse 32 kind of just drops the hammer. He's like, hey, I just want you to stop worrying about all these things. Be free from anxieties. He's, he's like, quit, quit, quit being so distracted by your marital status that you miss out on the mission of God. Your singleness, like this season of singleness in your life, like you could be the most effective for the kingdom of heaven. Listen to me, whether you're a young adult and you've never been married, or, or, or whether you've been married and now you find yourself single again, or whether you're a widow or a widower, the season of singleness in your life can be the greatest season of your evangelistic effectiveness for the kingdom of God. If you're a college student or young adult, man, I want to ask you, before you get married and before your career takes off, you need to find a way to get some sort of six-month to a year to two-year assignment to go serve the Lord on an international mission field. It'll change your life and it'll change your family's trajectory going forward. There's some mamas and daddies that are like, man, I hope my kid wasn't listening just then. No, man, like, like, you need to go be used of God right now. It's the greatest time to go when you're a young adult before your career takes off, before the kids have 19 ball games every week. Like, this is the time to go. There's some of you who are single again, and you're like, you know what? I can, I can teach some folks from what I've learned, and I can go be even more useful to the kingdom of heaven on the mission field than I've ever been because of the life experiences and even the regrets that I want to keep other people from. Like you can leverage his grace in your life. Don't waste your singleness. Some of you widows and widowers, you're like, man, like I'm so lonely and I'm drowning in grief. Can I tell you the way out of your grief 
is to get busy living according to the mission of God again. Man, find a way to engage in his mission. Like, don't, don't be anxious about your marital status. Be focused on his mission. And that's why in verses 32 to 35, he's like, like you got to get going to please the Lord. Like, pleasing the Lord becomes the theme in these verses because Paul says you're not going to waste your life when you're living it to please the Lord. So look, if, if, if you're desiring a spouse today, if you'll live your life to please the Lord, God will bring a spouse in your life. That, that, that's my story. I met Bridget in college. I'd been in a long-term relationship. It wasn't super healthy. About nine months that I was like, man, I'm just going to focus on the Lord. Little did I know, about three months before Bridget and I met, she had a very similar story. And she made a commitment to the Lord that she wasn't going to date anybody for a year. So when I was trying to talk to Bridget in our class at college, she wouldn't talk to me. I had to actually pay a friend, like I paid money, that the friend went and talked to Bridget and said, hey, he really wants to talk with you. And so in our very first conversation, she was like, why do you want to talk to me? And I was like, I just think you're awesome. She's like, you don't know me. I'm like, I think you're awesome. <laughs> and she looked at me and she was like, well, are you called to ministry because God called me to ministry and if you're not called to ministry, this has no future and you're wasting my time. And I was like, at that time I wanted to be a football coach, but that hour and that day, the Lord spoke from heaven and I'm called to ministry. <laughs> like, yes. What is ministry? <laughs> no, <I'm just> kidding. <laughs> but in all seriousness, as crazy as that sounds, like, like the Lord had been working in my heart. And he was beginning to turn my heart. And God even used that question in her life as confirmation that he was calling me to ministry, and she never knew. She agreed to go to lunch with me after class. We went to Ramajamas. All right? Taylor and Stephanie know where Ramajamas is. And at that point, it was like a $4 hamburger, because that's all I could afford. Second date, we stepped up to Wendy's, because <laughs> they had Frosties. And so we were hanging out for a few months, and, man, I was head over heels for Bridget. Like, you have no idea um, God's gift to her in my life. And, and so we were hanging out with my roommate and his girlfriend and a couple friends, and I think we were watching a movie, and I just kind of leaned over and I'm like, hey, man, I'm just so grateful that the Lord brought you into our, my life. Like, you're helping me grow in the Lord. I just kind of, like, started down the road, guys, you know what I'm talking about? And I was like, I just need you to know, like, I am totally in love with you. And she got up. She went to the bathroom she locked the door and she cried for 30 minutes. Real story. I, I texted her this week and asked her if I could share this detail with you. And uh, yeah, I texted her. It was not a good decision. Uh, but she was, like, she was like, yes, that's our story. What toiletries do you need for the grocery store? I was like, man, we've come a long way in 21 years. You know what I'm saying? From like locking yourself in the bathroom to can I buy your toothpaste? Um, so, so my roommate was like, bro, what did you do? And I was like, I, I, don't, I don't know, I don't know. I did not go as, in plan, as planned, it did not go good. And so she finally came out and she just said, look, I've made this commitment to the Lord. And she said, all I wanna do is please God. This is my wife's words to me when we were getting serious. And if you're gonna get in my way, I'm not gonna let it happen. And since that time, she's been the Holy Spirit in my life. You know, so, so. <laughs> but here's what was happening to Bridget now. And this is why I tell you those details. 
man, I made this decision to go after the Lord with all my heart. Like, I was just pursuing the Lord. And I looked beside me one day, and he had brought this beautiful woman who was pursuing the Lord, and he brought us together. The aim and goal of either, like, none of us were looking for a boyfriend or a girl. Like, we weren't looking for a spouse to be married. Like, we were just trying to please the Lord. I was trying to genuinely wrestle with my call to ministry, and God brought me a girl that says, are you called to ministry? Like, I was genuinely trying to figure out who I was and who God was calling me to be. And she was having those same discussions in her heart and with her closest friends. And God did it. He brought us together. And that lady has been the greatest gift of God in my life. I don't know how to live without Bridget Barron Harrison. And that's what God will do for you when you set your aim at pleasing the Lord, not getting married. Man, go please the Lord. And if God takes away the desire for a spouse, he's given you the gift of singleness. And so double down, double down. Be like, all right, here we go even greater. I often said, if the Lord takes Bridget home before me, I'm moving to Iraq. I'm just gonna double down on preaching the gospel and seeing Jesus and like, that's, that's all I know. Like, my kids will be grown by then, I hope. But like, if the Lord takes her first, like, I'm, I'm just going to double down so that my life would be a life that pleases God above all else. So don't waste your singleness. Don't lower God's standard for marriage. Don't burn with lust and don't rush to change your status that you might please God with your life, whether you're single or you're married, because we're not defined by our marital status in God's eyes. Our life will be measured by our obedience to Him. Thanks for joining us this week on the Concord Online Podcast. If you have any questions surrounding today's sermon, or simply want to learn more, you can do so at concordonline.org. Make sure to subscribe to this podcast to stay up to date with each weekly release.